Anybody here remember a few years ago those rolling blackouts? Remember those, you know, rolling blackouts? Uh, I don't. I didn't live here. <laughs> I, I have no recollection of a rolling blackout. In fact, I've never uh, expe- I've experienced power outages, but I've never experienced one of those where it's like, we have to cut the power because we don't have enough to give everybody. And so I hear here about 15 or 20 years ago, those were a little more common. In the 12 years that I have lived here, I have not experienced one of them. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, it doesn't mean that I haven't experienced darkness before. Uh, one time, it was late here at church, uh, about seven or eight years ago, and uh, it was a windstorm, and we were, I was talking with somebody, I can't remember who was there, and boom, the power just goes out. Now, the power goes out, it's night, we haven't replaced the exit batteries in years, so they don't come on. It is pitch black, and I am somewhere over here. And it's the first time where literally my eyes are open and I could not see. It's like being, being blind, you know. I, I mean, I, I'm just, my eyes are open. I can, I can grope and feel in the dark, but I could not see anything. I mean, just that experience of darkness. And it wasn't until, you know, we were able to get a little bit closer. I mean, we banged through the chairs and everything and finally got a little bit closer to where there was a little bit of light that we were able to ride it out. It came on, you know, probably a half hour or so later, but that just that sense of my eyes are open, but I cannot see. In fact, uh, thinking about that, I was doing a little bit of research, and did you know that the human eye can detect light down to, well, it's a little bit further on that scale, 320 nanometers in the visible light spectrum. How many of you know what 320 nanometers in the visible light spectrum even means, right? I know, I didn't know it either. So I had to go to the youth pastor version of this uh, illustration because that's where they explain everything. And here's essentially what that means. If you were to take a flashlight, all right, and then cut a, a box, like a square inch box, okay? So now you have a flashlight, but instead of being round, it's square, and it's one inch, okay? And then in that one inch, you put 100 squares, right? So those are really tiny squares. If you lit up just one of those 100 squares, your eye could detect that. Now some of you may say, eh, what's the point? The point is this. We do not need a lot of light to see, but we do need light to see. We do need light to see. And that kind of reminds me, takes me back to the story of Jesus being crucified on the cross. Imagine for a moment, it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, you're taking a stroll outside, and not these lights go out, but nature's lights go out, right? Uh, whether you want to call it an eclipse, dark clouds, dust, or what I think, God just moving his hand and covering up the electromagnetic spectrum so that it's nighttime, no moon, no stars, no light, and it's 12, 12 noon in the midday. And this is kind of what happened the day that Jesus was crucified. He was hung on the cross 
around 9 a.m. in the morning. And he would hang there for six hours from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. But the Bible is very clear that around noon, something very sinister began to happen. That darkness, a, a real thick darkness, began to come over all of the land. And the darkness was pierced by these words of Jesus by the cross, on the cross, when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, why did Jesus say this? I mean, God forsaken by God? How? What does that mean? No statement by Jesus is, is really more mysterious and has often been misunderstood because God was punishing Jesus as if he had personally committed every wicked thing by every wicked person on the earth. And in doing so, God could forgive and treat us differently as if we had never sinned or never had any wickedness within us. Because Jesus was forsaken for three hours in the darkness, we will never be forsaken if we choose to follow Christ. But I think there's another thing that Jesus is accomplishing here with this sentence. He fully and completely understands what it's like to go through a season of life where it just feels like God is not there. God is nowhere to be found. If you want someone to empathize with you in that season, you can go to God. God empathizes with not feeling himself around. Now, don't wrap your head around that too much, but essentially, this is the experience that Jesus is going through. If you have a Bible, you can turn it to Matthew chapter 27, verses 45 and 46, but it's also going to be here on the screen. And it's really the same story I just told you, uh, beginning in verse 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three o'clock in the afternoon, this is shortly before Jesus is going to give up his spirit, Jesus cried in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, or Eloi, Eloi, some translations will say, Lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When we kind of take apart this verse, there's really two kinds of people that are going that, that to engage this verse. And the first kind of person is this, people who feel forsaken by God. The first kind of person is those who don't feel like they deserve what God has allowed to happen in their lives. They're like, wait a minute, all this bad stuff is happening, all this negative stuff is happening, it's not my fault, I didn't do this, I don't deserve this, God must simply be forsaking me because I don't deserve any of what I'm getting right now. There was um, a blog I read from one of the older pastors that I really respect, and uh, he tells a story of when he very much felt for forsaken in the early 1970s when he began his ministry. He said, I was young, I was newly married, and newly graduated from seminary, and newly appointed to my very first church. I was so excited when all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a close friend of mine died of cancer. He said, that was bad enough, but then, a few weeks after that, my own father died of a heart attack. It was a very tough season, and yeah, I truly felt like God had forsaken me, 
I was struggling so much. How could I go up and stand in front of a church and share the joyous presence of God when I felt like God was a million miles away? He said, I struggled in my first church because I felt so forsaken by God. I had wondered if perhaps I had missed his call. It was hard for me to preach, hard for me to understand where God was. The words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, echoed in my thoughts a lot. I struggled in my new marriage because the season of tragic loss was so deep that I just couldn't fake the happiness and found it nearly impossible to choose the joy. My prayers seemed to go unheard. There seemed to be no reassurance from the Bible. I sensed no reassuring touch or healing touch from the Holy Spirit. There was no sense of God's presence, only his soul-crushing absence. And he said, and these feelings are real. And I get so irritated with well-intentioned Christians when they say, well, just trust God, or don't worry, you'll get over it. This too will pass. Everybody goes through stuff. There's some great plan to this. He said, yes, that may be true, but these feelings are real. Just as real as they were, Jesus saying them from the cross. They were real in my heart. Even if God does have a big plan in this moment, I feel like I'm at the bottom of a pit I can't get out of. He says, and the closer you are to God, the more forsaken you can feel. That's the first person. Maybe some of you can just really identify emotionally with what that pastor was going through. Second person is a little different. If the first person feels like they're getting what they don't deserve, the second person are those who feel like they're getting exactly what they deserve, and they've given up on God. Jesus was crucified between two thieves. And just before Jesus dies, they have an interesting conversation. Uh, beginning in Luke 23, verses 39 to 43, says this, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him, shouting out, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and save us. But the other criminal rebuked him. He said, don't you fear God? I mean, we're under the same sentence, but we are being punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Jesus, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus said, truly, I tell you that today you will be with me in paradise. Did you catch that, what he said? We are getting what our deeds deserve. It's the other type of person I've run into. If there is a God, Tom, well, then he shouldn't like me because I haven't really been a good person or I haven't really tried to live for him at all. Uh, they'll say, nope, God has forsaken me, and he would be right in doing so. And I'm not for him, and he's not for me. Now, one day you may find that you're one of these two people. It's so easy when either you do something wrong and consequences come, or you haven't done anything wrong and trial and challenges come, and you pray and you read your Bible, and you go to church, and you've got your prayer group, and you've got everything going around, and your circumstances just don't seem to change at all. And it's easy to kind of sit back and say, you know what? I think God has forgotten me. 
I think God has forsaken me. Part of the reason why Jesus said what he said was so that we would never have to go to that place or go to that feeling that God has somehow abandoned us. It can be a soul-crushing experience to feel that kind of rejection. When we were in seminary, uh, we had a, a person who was both a pastor and a psychologist and he said when you go into psychology uh, and you get your degree and you're about to become a, a licensed counselor he said one of the things that they tell you is their motto that they live by is do no harm in other words when people come into you for counseling don't beat them up so that they leave worse than when they came do no harm and he said the equivalent for that for pastors is never in anger Look at someone or think of someone. May God damn you. May God damn you. He said, because if you say that, even in just a burst of angry emotion, no matter how many times you take that back, that feeling that you've just transferred to them is almost irrecoverable. It's so powerful. We can so easily slip into feeling like we are forsaken by God. So how do we recover? If you're one or the other, or you've had this season, or maybe this season is coming sometime in the future for you because this season comes for all of us. How do we recover when we feel forsaken by God? Go ahead and grab your discussion sheet, flip it over, and we're going to answer four points that will hopefully hope you during that season, if and when it comes, or if it has already come for you. And the first one is this. Jesus said, why have you forsaken me? So that we would never have to. I started off talking about the darkness because feeling forsaken by God can feel like you are in darkness. You just can't see. You don't know what your next move should be. You don't know what your next decision should be. You're just stuck going nowhere fast. And it just seems like it's not clear what you should do and where you should go. But remember this. Jesus entered the darkness so that we could enter the light. Jesus was forsaken so that we could be forgiven. When Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He said that so that we would never have to say that. In fact, when we go there, when we really go there and we really get mad, God, I don't even know if you exist now because my life is so horrible or God, these things are happening, or I made this choice, now i got to live with it, and God, whenever we start going down that road, and we start feeling forsaken, and saying to ourselves, I think God has abandoned me, we slap Jesus in the face every time we say that, because he's saying, no, 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 I said that so that you would never have to. I went to the darkness. I was forsaken so that you could walk in the light, so that you could be forgiven. Don't Go there. Don't dishonor my sacrifice by feeling that you are ever forsaken by God, that God has ever abandoned you, that there is condemnation. I went through too much. I hung there for six hours in agony so that you would never have to say those things, never have to feel those feelings, never have to go down that road. And when we do, we have the promise of the Holy Spirit to lift us up. Amen? Amen. Number two, God knows these feelings 
and he doesn't hold them against us. Jesus knew. This is the one thing. Jesus had the advantage of knowing. When the darkness came, Jesus did not say, my God, my God, why is there darkness? Jesus absolutely was aware of what was happening. He knew that God was forsaking him for a good reason, so that we could be forgiven. We know that we are not forsaken, and yet we can still have the feelings. Okay, let's go with that. Feel them. Don't ignore them. Don't stuff them. If you feel like God has put you on a cross, don't try and act like you're not. To finish the story from the pastor from earlier, he had felt those feelings. He said, but still, I got up and I preached. I worked through it. I worked through it with my wife. I worked through it with that first church. And I preached and I preached and I preached and I determined I would just keep going because ultimately deep in my heart i know that god doesn't like pick people and say i'm gonna forsake you and punish you and make your life awful he said i just know even though that's how i felt i knew in my heart that was not happening and you may say well how did he walk out of that what broke that season in his life he said it he said one day i came home And my wife said two words that will change any man. And two words were, I'm late. Point number three. (laughs) He became a father. And boy, that'll change it real quick. (laughs) Point number three. If Jesus cried out to God, how much more should we? We've lost the art, I think, sometimes of crying out to God, of just being like, God, I'm in a bind, and I need you to do it, and I need you to do it quicker, you know? You may have divine patience. I don't, so please, you know, I'm in, I need to show me something, you know? Crying out. Do I mean tearful crying? Do I mean shoutful crying? Do I mean whispering cries? Do I mean the cries that you say in your thoughts? Yes, all of the above. Any kind of cry you can get out. Because if there's one thing we hear And see, over and over in the Bible, God hears the cries of his people. In fact, sometimes I think even more than the prayers, he hears the cries, right? The people of Israel cried out to God when they were slaves in Egypt. Hannah, who could not have children, cried out to God. And she became pregnant with Simeon. No, Samuel, thank you. Uh, You know, so... I mean, you see these stories in the Bible where people cry out to God. And there's something about that cry out to God that just tugs the heartstring of God. And something amazing, something often happens. You just got to cry out to God sometimes. And then finally, number four, it's never too late for a last second salvation. Here's something a lot of people don't realize about the story of the two thieves that were crucified next to Jesus. The thief who would eventually be forgiven and taken to heaven did not start out the day that way. If you read the alternate story, or the same story in Matthew chapter 27, you find out that both thieves were hurling insults at Jesus in the very beginning. So let's just say between 9 and maybe 10.30-ish, both thieves 
were hurling insults at Jesus. But something changed, however, over the course of those six painfully and agonizing hours. The thief who would be forgiven begins to become aware of a few things. First of all, he realizes that Jesus is being crucified for religious reasons, not that he's a criminal. He begins to hear the Jewish leaders mocking him, calling him the Son of God. He hears everybody baiting him to use his divine power to come down off of the cross. But instead of returning insult for insult, Jesus begins to say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. That thief that was hanging next to him heard that. What? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do? Something changed in that thief's heart. Listen to this. That thief was never baptized. He never attended or was confirmed in a church. He never gave a dime to the church. He was never, never a member, a minister, or a missionary. He had never even heard the gospel, save through the angry rage of the Jewish leaders. The angry rage of the Jewish leaders was actually preaching the gospel to the other guy on the cross next to Jesus. Nothing was ever explained to him, as far as we know. But as he looked at them, and he looked at Jesus, and he looked at them, and he looked at Jesus, something happened. He began to believe. He saw what others could not. This was the Son of God. He began to believe in a kingdom where Jesus ruled in the afterlife. And for some unknown reason to him, Jesus did not come down from that cross, but instead spent his time forgiving his executors, making sure his mother was taken care of, and did not trade insult for insult. This is what Jesus was doing while he's in agony and pain. And finally, he hears Jesus say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I think for the thief, it dawned on him, wait a minute, I'm the one who should be forsaken. I'm the, I'm the one who actually committed a crime. I'm the one who's an armed robber. I am getting exactly, I am the one who deserves to be forsaken, not you and not for them. And all of a sudden, it's all beginning to dawn on him. He looked back, he looked back, back and forth, back and forth. And finally he looked at Jesus and he said, Jesus, I know this is a long shot. I know I have no basis for asking this. I know right now you feel forsaken, but I should be forsaken. Jesus, this is a big ask. And if you need to, like, insult me right now, just go ahead and do it because you would be right in doing it. But I'm asking you, if there is any way that you can forgive me and bring me to your kingdom, would you? He probably thought, 
the odds were against Jesus saying yes. So why did he ask it? Because everything he had seen so far of Jesus had showed him that Jesus was merciful. You ever think about that? When people saw Jesus, they saw a very merciful man. I often wonder if people think that of me sometimes, if they think that of us as a church, if they think that as Christians. Have we lost our mercy? Would the thieves on the cross who are next to us even ask us how to know God and how to go to heaven because they see mercy within us? Or do they see only judgment? Something about that thief looked at Jesus and said, I don't really know him that well, but I know enough that he's merciful. These, this is the second to last thing Jesus would say. The second to last thing that Jesus would say. Of course, it was no accident that Jesus was crucified between those two men. Jesus knew he had an appointment, a divine appointment with one of them. And he looked at him and he said, today, you will be with me in my kingdom. You'll be forgiven. You'll be changed. You are not forsaken. But God's mercy is spread all over you, all over your life, all over your sin, all over everything. Probably within the next couple of minutes, that thief would look over and see Jesus say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. See Jesus breathe his last. And then for a few minutes, see him dead, hanging there on the cross. And I'm sure the whole of what happened that day was probably a huge shock to him. But I think in his heart, he was filled with such joy and such love because he had found out the answer to the big question I think we all have in our hearts. When our time comes, will God show us mercy or has God forsaken us? And Jesus answered that on the cross. Jesus is saying, because I was forsaken, you will never be. Amen? Amen. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Worship team, come forward. There's a story told about one of the presidents we've had. His name was James Garfield. James Garfield was, uh, he was assassinated, actually, if you don't know that. Uh, one day, a, an assassin shot him once in the back before the assassin was tackled. The interesting thing was the bullet was not fatal. Uh, they rushed him to the hospital, and they began probing around. The only problem with the bullet is they couldn't find it. For three months, they kept reopening his wound, 
because they knew they had to find the bullet. If they didn't find the bullet, he'd die of lead poisoning, right? He'd die of an infection. Oddly enough, though, he held on for 90 days. And the doctors kept probing in, trying to find the wound. But they couldn't find it. So President Garfield passed away. But he passed away three months after being shot. The doctor said if we'd have found the bullet, was able to get it out, the fact that he did so well with the bullet inside of him, he would have probably made a full recovery. If we just could have found the bullet, if we just could have found that which caused the wound. I don't know about you, but sometimes I think of that story and I think, I've got to find that bullet that's inside of me. Maybe it's feeling forsaken. Maybe it's feeling like God hasn't taken care of me. Maybe it's thinking, feeling that God has nothing to do with anything and I'm looking at this crazy world around me and I'm like, what is going on? I opened today by talking about light and darkness. More than ever, I think we are in a battle of light and darkness. When it comes to our election coming up, when it comes to our holidays, when it comes to our schools, our future, earth as a planet, is in a battle for light and darkness right now. And sometimes darkness wins because we can't find the bullet and give it to God. So this morning, take a moment. What might be the bullet that's festering inside of you, trying to destroy your joy, trying to destroy your peace or your trust? Is it the quality of your relationships that's suffering? There needs to be some forgiveness there. Is it discipline and finances? Maybe things are just feeling tight. This is a very difficult economy right now. Everything has gone up. We are all feeling it. Or maybe, maybe it's something a little deeper. Maybe it's beyond all that and it goes straight to your relationship with God, your walk with Christ. Let's take a moment right now and just find that bullet and then just in your heart say, God, I give this to you. I pray that you'd heal me of it. I pray you'd take out this bullet, clean the wound, stitch it up. Because if you don't, it could be three days, could be three months, could be 30 years. It'll end up destroying me. Go ahead and find that, whatever it is right now, and give it to God. And then let's pray this together. Say, Lord Jesus, I admit that I need you, and I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I am not forsaken because you were and when you come for me at the end of my life take me to your kingdom that I may be with you in Jesus name amen if Jesus said to a thief who'd never heard of him never known him was an armed robber and seconds before his own death 
today you will be with me in heaven, how much more is he saying that to us? Amen.